Take your Bibles and flip open to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm uh, very much convinced of the necessity, the, the, the power, um, the blessing that accompanies expositional preaching. Taking a text of scripture and just preaching your way through it. But this is not it, which is where I feel a little bit awkward and a bit uncomfortable. So I'll, I'll explain as we get there. But 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, the Bible says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? One of the hardest things to hear uh, from people at times is, how do I know if I'm truly saved? How do I know? In some ways you say, well, it's kind of easy. Uh, The Spirit of God bears witness to you. Yeah, but I'm not sure. Because, I mean, the Spirit of God doesn't speak in an audible voice. So how do I know? And especially for young people that grow up in Christian homes, and I, I spoke not long ago about the great danger of growing up in a Christian home. You, you live in Christian culture, you sing the Christian hymns, you own Bibles, you, like Joel, you had a regard for God, you lived in a conservative Christian home, all of that, and it's so easy to just hear the message and you make some form of affirmation to it and, and you sort of slide in there. Well, the problem is that you've adopted a culture But the reality is you may not have been truly saved. And I've had uh, youth camps and and experiences where young people have come and said, I just don't know. I'm not sure if I'm truly saved. How can I know? We know what salvation is. Uh, Jesus walking along the beach in the book of Mark, the first recorded words out of Jesus' mouth in the scriptures are Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. He says, repent and believe. Kingdom is, is sorry the, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And people hear that message and respond to it in one way or another. They they turn away from sin. They believe the gospel and they know what salvation is. But for young people growing up, especially in Christian homes, sometimes that repentance they haven't turned. They haven't done much sin in their life. They're not turning away from much. And in some cases they're responding to sadly pressure put on them by parents and family to believe the gospel, to be part of that, to to kind of get in there with everybody else. And you kind of wonder, is there really been a work of God in their lives? The Bible tells us that salvation is from the wrath of God. God is going to judge the world for its sin. There is coming a day when God will, the Christ will return, he'll gather all of the peoples of the world all together. And he will go through like a shepherd with the sheep and goats all mixed together. And like a shepherd wisely does, he will separate the sheep from the goats. Sheep on one side, goats on the other. And he is going to condemn the goats, which are the unbelievers, to a lost eternity. And he will fully and finally save all of his own people to himself for all eternity. And he will divide. And the reality is, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that um, 
We were once dead in our offenses and sins in which we previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all previously, previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That means we were by nature destined to face the wrath of an angry God against us for our sins. And then two of the greatest words in English language together in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. True salvation is God reaching down and taking a dead body and making it alive. Now you imagine if that literally happened. I ask people to share a testimony often on Sunday evenings, and I often hear this response, uh, you know, I, I don't know, mine's kind of a boring testimony. And my standard answer is, really? God raising someone from the dead is boring? Wow, I never knew that. And they all go, oh, well, you know, okay, fine. And they agree and they, tell, they share their testimony. It's not a boring story, is it? When God makes somebody who is dead alive, that's a incredible news. If that, that happened, if the grave popped open and some guy got up and started walking around in the streets of Melbourne, trust me, there'd be news cameras and reporters and everybody there and the scientists would be trying to disprove it and everybody would be all clamoring. But when God saves somebody, that's exactly what happens. The Bible tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, again in chapter 1, that when we come to know Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're chosen before the foundation of the world. We're predestined to adoption. We're redeemed through Christ's blood. We have forgiveness of sins. We have revealed to us the mystery of God's will. We've obtained an incredible inheritance. We're sealed in Christ with the promised Holy Spirit. Those are all the blessings that God pours out unredeemed, saved, born-again people. So if that happened, would there be a change? The answer is, yeah, there absolutely would be a change. So again, the question, how do I know if I'm truly saved? How do we answer that question? How can I help you for the next whatever time we got answer that question for yourself? And I think really what it comes down to is we look at what it is to be saved and then we ask the questions, are we there yet? Is this this true of us? So being saved and made new creatures in Christ, we continue to live the Christian life. Being saved isn't a moment and finished and done. I trusted Christ, I'm saved, that's it, I can carry on about my way, do whatever I want to do because I know I'm going to go to heaven. If that's your idea of salvation... Congratulations, you missed it. That's not what it means. 
To be saved means to be raised to a new life, to live and walk a new life in Christ. We continue to live the Christian life. We live continually trusting in God. Secondly, we live as spiritual children of God. And thirdly, we grow as spiritual children of God. How do we know if that is truly us or not? How do you know? If I asked you this evening to stand up and give us, in two seconds, your reason that you're convinced that you're truly born again, what would your answer be? Well, you know what the Bible actually tells you to do that? To take a long look? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you, unless you fail the test? So it's not a sermon, but it's a test instead. Don't you love it when the teacher comes in and says, it's test day? Well, here's a test for us all to take together. Take those three statements about the Christian life and turn them into test questions. These are the standards by which we can examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith to help us all examine ourselves. So first of all, are you, am I, continually trusting in Christ? Number two, are you and am I living as a spiritual child of God? Are you, thirdly, and am I growing as a spiritual child of God? Because if we're alive, we're growing, right? Things that are living are generally growing. If they're not growing, then there's usually a problem. And you say, wait, wait a minute, I'm the same size and I look pretty much the same. I haven't changed in 35 years. You're saying I'm not alive? No, I'm saying you're getting older. You might not be growing, but you're certainly changing and things are still progressing, right? If, okay, quick test, go like this. Everybody do that. If you don't have a breath, please call John. He wants to talk to you immediately because there's something wrong. But everything that's living is growing. These are ways we can find out if we truly are born again. Where do the questions and answers come from? Well, that, of course, is the Scriptures. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, verse 13, that these things, the book of 1 John, these things have been written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The book of 1 John can actually be considered like a manual for the assurance of salvation. It's a whole bunch of questions and tests that you can take to see whether or not you have indeed attained to eternal life, that you have been truly saved. So first of all, are you continually trusting in God? Salvation is not a moment of faith, it's a lifetime of faith. Does that mean it takes a lifetime for us to be justified? Thank you. You should have done that. You all do this. No. A life of faith, a moment of justification. It happens in the twinkling of an eye. But the whole life of faith is lived out all through the course of the life we live. This is what Paul said. He said in Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. This Christian life is a life of faith. 
It's a life of living by faith in God. Hebrews 3 verse 14 says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast of the beginning of our assurance and confidence and conviction firm until the end. What's he mean? If we continue this life of faith, if we keep walking with the Lord, you trust your Lord all through this life. Yes, justification happens in a moment, but faith carries on all through the life. John 3.16, a great, beautiful text in the scriptures of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, literally what it says is, whoever continues believing in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This Christian life is a life of faith. We're saved by faith and we live by faith. In Galatians 2 to verse 20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now continue to live. That's what it literally means. Continue to live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This Christian life is a life of continual faith in God. How do you know if you're truly saved? Are you still trusting in Jesus? If you come to a baptism service here, I ask a different question than most places. My question is not, have you trusted in Christ? My question is, are you trusting in Christ? In other words, still. Are you repenting of sin? Still. Becoming a Christian is living a life of faith. It starts in a moment, and there's justification by faith in a moment, but we live our lives by faith. So the question is, are you trusting in Christ for salvation still? Are you still trusting in Christ to forgive you your sins, to take you without blame into heaven forever? Do you have confidence in your heart? I like what you said. You had a conviction, a confidence within that you were truly saved. If you were to die tonight and stand before God's judgment seat, and if he were to ask you why he should let you into heaven, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, I was a half-mass preacher. You know, I tried to pastor the church. You know, I, I, I drive, drove the speed limit on Sundays. I, 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 I didn't steal often. Well, you see what I'm doing? I'm starting to list off all the things that I've done that I think somehow might give me some sort of merit with God. If that's immediately what you think of, well, these are all the good things I've done in my life. You know, I've always gone to church. I've never missed a Sunday. You know, I read my Bible every day. In fact, I read lots of chapters. I read way more than John Mulder reads in his day. I I do all these things. If that's your answer, it's bad news. Because all the things that you could possibly do will never get you into heaven. But if instead, without hesitation, you could say, I am depending entirely on Christ. That's all I've got. I believe in Jesus and that's it. Then you can say, yeah, there's evidence that you're truly saved. But if your answer is no right now, I want to just time out for a second and say, trust the Lord for your salvation. Turn to Christ. Look to him. He's the only hope you've got. If you were to die tonight and stand before God, that's your only hope.
Jesus Christ. Why? Because like you said, he died on a cross to pay the penalty for all our sin, that we might go, we might be forgiven, we might be reconciled to God, we might have peace with God, we might walk with God all through the rest of our days. He died for us. That's why we trust in him. Secondly, are you living life as a spiritual child of God? The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. The Bible promises us in Ephesians 1 that if we trust in Christ, we have adoption into a new family, a new home. So we live lives as spiritual children of God. Salvation is God making us alive in Christ. And when God makes us alive in Christ, you remember the story of Adam and Eve when God created them? The Bible says he formed them out of the dust of the earth and he molded the clay, if you like. It's a beautiful picture of God's creative master craftsmanship. I'm learning a little bit about anatomy and the body as I'm going through some health issues. And I'm learning all these cool things about the body and how it works and how it doesn't work. And the neat thing is God fashioned and formed this human. But you know what the coolest moment was? The Bible says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. When Joel trusted Christ and when I trusted Christ and when all the rest of us here who know the Lord trusted Christ, it was as if God, it wasn't as if, it was exactly that. God leaned down and breathed into us the breath of life. The Spirit of God filled us. And being born again by the Holy Spirit, he will produce evidence of himself within us. Because we're born again, the Spirit indwells and fills us and produces us in evidence of his presence and power in our life. Born again by the Spirit, we walk and live by the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We're convicted. We're taught. We're encouraged by the Scriptures as the Spirit of God applies them to our life. So living as spiritual children of God, we hear the testimony of the Holy Spirit. We see the evidence of the Spirit of God in us. We desire spiritual truth. I love what you said about you had all of a sudden a hunger for the Word of God. My experience is exactly the same. My dad made me take a Bible to Bible camp. Can you imagine how cruel of a father would make you take a Bible to Bible camp? I got there, and the third day I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I went from longing to play footy because I was the biggest kid in the group, so I always got in the middle of the footy, oh, sorry, uh, uh, American Rules footy, you know, gridiron, what do you call it here? And so I was always in the middle, taking people out. That was my, my fun game. I couldn't wait to get off the footy field and back to my cabin to lie down on my bunk with my Bible and start reading again. I had a desire with me for a word of, the Word of God. We live, sorry, as spiritual children of God, we hear the testimony of the Spirit of God. We'll talk about it in a second. We see the evidence of the Spirit of God in our lives. We desire spiritual truth. We live in a real relationship with Jesus Christ, and we long to obey God. You brought that out, too, in your testimony. Absolutely true. So let's turn all those things into questions. Do you hear the testimony of the Spirit of God within you? The Bible tells us that in 1 John 4, 15, 4.13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 15 and 16, the Bible says, For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 
The testimony of God's spirit to our spirit is what? A voice? Well, you know, I wish it was. It would be simpler. But no. You know what I discovered? And I, I think you'll understand this and just hearing your testimony. The moment I trusted Jesus, the more in my simple 13-year-old basic understanding of the gospel, I believed in Jesus for salvation. You know what I felt inside? Peace. It was just a... Arrested. There was a peace within. You say, so? You know what I found out afterwards reading one biography after another of Christian men and gone before me? When they came to faith in Christ, they had peace. Paul said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You say, so what? That peace... I am absolutely convinced is a testimony of the Holy Spirit within my heart that I was truly saved. He spoke to me, not in an audible voice. He gave peace. There was a sense that I was safe and I belonged to God from being terrified in fear of God's judgment on me. My dad asked me, imagine this, I'm off to Bible camp, right? I'm getting away from my parents for a week and my family. It was all good. And we're leaving. He ruined the whole day. You know what he said? He said, son, if you die today, where will you go? And I went, well, actually, I lied. I said, I don't know, and got out of there as fast as I could. I knew exactly where I'd go that day if I died. I'd go straight to a lost eternity in hell. But, you know, laying on my bunk, listening to or reading, sorry, my, my Bible, from being terrified in fear of God's judgment to amazed and awed and respecting God as my Father and feeling like I belonged. Now, that may not mean much for, for a lot of you, but for me, as a little Aussie kid living in Canada, I sounded different. I had no connections to that place. I was completely out of my world and culture. To know that I belonged was a tremendous sense I belonged to the family of God. There was a sense of the Spirit's leading. I had a hunger inside of me. I loved footy. I loved hockey. I loved soccer, all those games. I'd play as much as I could. I loved that. But as soon as I came to the Lord, there was a desire for the Word of God. Now I love God's Word because it was God's Word. Now the things I did, the sins I committed, I hated them. Living as a child of God, the testimony of God's spirit within my spirit was, I belong to him. There was change happening inside of me. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ know that reality. So my second question is, do you see the fruit or the evidence of the spirit of God in your life? Who here watches crime drama? Like the, the cop shows, a, you, know, you can put your little... I do, I admit it, I like crime drama. I love the fact that the, the cooks, right, they're so smart. They got everything figured out there. They wipe down the scene, and, and there comes this intrepid investigator with his gigantic magnifying glass and all these little cool scanner bits and pieces. And sure enough, he finds one tiny little fragment of a hair that fits with a little feather, and he puts it together with a pen cap and puts all the thing in and goes, Aha, we have the crime. The forensic evidence that's left behind is so compelling that they can say, we can say for an absolute certainty that he was here on this day and he did this, and sure enough, the poor guy gets convicted of a crime. Not poor guy, he's a criminal. You say, what's the point? 
The point is, there's evidence of him being there. And the reality is, the Spirit of God that fills us, he produces evidence in us of the reality that he's there. There is evidence. The Bible calls it fruit. Same idea. Um, The evidence of the Spirit of God at work in my life is what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. He produces the fruit. His presence and influence brings that fruit out in us. So you read that verse, and what's your most, what's everybody's inclination? Oh, I really got to work on my patience. I don't know. I'm just not very patient. You know, I got to work on my joy because it's really quite failing. Is that the right way? No, I can't do that. It's the spirit of God in me that produces that evidence in my life. You say, well, you know, lots of people love. Lots of people have joy. I have my neighbors, man. They can get really joyful especially after they've downed a slab of beer. They, they, all kinds of people have joy and happiness and peace and patience. No, that's not that kind of patience, not that kind of joy. It's not ordinary love. It's spiritual love, loving the unlovely. That means that only the Spirit of God can produce that love in me. Uh, there was an old Christian comedian. He said it this way, and I think it made sense. He said, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God, I could not hang around with you people. Because you're not very lovely, some of you. And, well, in a way, he was kind of right. Because we're not always. But you know what? When the Spirit of God is in us, he gives evidence of his influence in us. And all of a sudden, instead of loving with an ordinary love, we love with a spiritual love. Instead of ordinary joy that we find in all sorts of trivial, fading, rusting out things, there is a spiritual joy despite great suffering. It's not an ordinary patience. It's a spiritual patience. It's a spiritual kindness that expects no return. It's a spiritual faithfulness that though we are killed for our faith in Christ, we will not depart or deny Christ, and so on. And it's not fruits with an S. It's fruit with a T. It's one single evidence. It's the Spirit of God working to produce and display himself in us. How do you know if you're truly born again? Do you see the evidence of the, of the Spirit of God in you? How do you know if you're truly born again? Do you, do you feel that peace? I know for a certainty that if I'm killed on the way home tonight, I will stand before God and I will say, I have Christ and that's all I need. I have a peace with God in my heart. The evidence of the Spirit is changed life and behavior. The Bible says in Matthew 7, verses 16 to 20, You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. The reality is, how do we know that we're truly saved? What is the outcome of our lives? What what fruit was Jesus talking about? And I believe with all my heart what he was talking about was a life that pleases God. 
a life of righteousness and godliness and faith in God and holiness. That's the life that pleases God. And the good tree produces that life. You say, but that'd take a lot of work. Oh, if you were listening to Benoit this morning in, in their service this morning, he made a really good point. All the righteousness of Christ is given to us as a gift. And the life we live in the power of the Holy Spirit produces the evidence of the Spirit of God in us, and it also produces righteousness, not our own. It's Christ's righteousness that's given to us. The result of the outcome of a saved life is pleasing to God and conform to the image of God. Thirdly, do we desire spiritual truth? You want to know if you're truly saved or not? How much love do you have for spiritual truth? How much love do you have for the Word of God? Is this your first place to go or the last place they got to drag you? <laughs> like me on the way to camp, I couldn't believe I had to retake a Bible to Bible camp. And when I got there, I was so glad my dad made me bring it because I couldn't get away from it. There was a longing and a hunger for spiritual truth. In 1 John 4, verse 6, John writes, We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What, Paul, what John is saying basically there is this, and the way we can apply it is, we don't have the apostles with us anymore. They're all dead and gone. But we have their words. And he who knows God listens to the apostles' words in the Scriptures. He who is not from God does not listen to the apostles' words. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So coming to Christ, like you mentioned in your testimony, is a desire for spiritual truth. Denying key biblical Christian doctrines will not result in salvation. Someone comes and says, I'm a Christian. I say, really? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe in that Jesus is God stuff. (laughs) What? I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe in that Jesus is God. I mean, you know, he was a good guy and everything. But, you know, I love church. Really? Yeah. And, and, you know, the Bible is really cool, but, you know, it's not really the Word of God. I mean, you know, some guys wrote it. It's pretty cool. I'm like, hold on a second now. There's a problem here. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the, from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and, the, and in the Father. So, evidence of Christian life, evidence of salvation is that we have a love for biblical truth. We have a love for spiritual truth. And we do not deny and put aside. We take it all as it is. Uh, we're reading Deuteronomy in the morning. Um, some of the passages are interesting. Uh, uh, Richard came up to me and just looked at me and said, what did I do to, to you? I had to read that passage about emasculation in the morning worship service, and I, I felt sorry for him. But you know the cool thing is? That's the word of God. We don't get to cut it up and put it away and say, well, you know, it's not quite appropriate for now. We'll, we'll keep it for some other Bible study where there's just guys around. No, that's the word of God. We love the Word of God. We don't cut it up and put it away. I want to move on because time's going fast. Do you live in the reality of a relationship with Christ? It isn't just trusting Christ. See, I can trust somebody and not really know them. But the wonderful truth of the Christian life, the wonderful truth of what it means to be saved and know and love the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are in a relationship 
This is what Jesus said. John 15, verses 4 to 7. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. What's he talking about? The vine and the branch are fastened together. There's sap that flows from the branch or the vine into the branch and the branch back into the vine and so on. And the, and the, the branch produces the fruit. There's a connection there. Not only trusting in Christ, following Christ, and depending on Christ, but relating to Christ, listening to him through his word, praying and speaking in response to what he said in his word, acting, stepping out in faith to follow his leading. It's a relationship. We walk with the Lord. We talk with the Lord. We open up the word of God. It's amazing how God speaks through his word. It isn't just an idea we are following. It's a living son of God. It's a living person that we're in a relationship with. As children of God, do we live with a longing to obey God? This is what the Bible says, 1 John verse 2, Sorry, 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. Do you live, brother and sister, with a longing, a desire to obey what God has said? Or are we always looking for loopholes? We're looking way to get around. Well, you know, this is an awkward situation. Let's just get around that and go and do something else. No. No, there's not perfection of obedience. You made a great point. You're still growing. There's still sin issues. There's still the presence of sin in your life imposing an influence. It's not perfection yet. But there's a longing to obey the Lord. There's a longing to please the Lord. A longing to be like the Lord. How do we know if we're truly born again or not, if we're truly saved? Are we continually trusting Christ? Are we living as spiritual children of God, hearing the testimony of the Spirit in our hearts, seeing the evidence of the Spirit in all that we do and say, desiring spiritual food and spiritual truth, living in a relationship to Christ and longing to obey Christ? And the last one is this, are we growing up in Christ? One of the things that we need to do as Christian people on a regular basis is stop and take stock of where we were a year ago and where we are today. What growth has happened in your life over a year? What's changed? All living creatures grow. Trees, plants, animals, fish, birds, humans, we all grow. There's no growth, there's no life, generally speaking. That's what the Bible says. First Peter two verses one to five. Sorry, First Peter chapter two verses one to five. He says, "Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the world, so that you may grow by it in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of God." And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is chosen and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You're growing. Look back over your life, Christian. 
Look back a year ago. What do you see that's changed between then and now? If you look back and you see zero change over the last several years, there's reason to wonder. There's reason to stop and stop and take stock, to examine yourself, to see whether you're truly in the faith or not. But here's the wonderful answer. If you're listening to all this going, I'm not really sure if I am saved. I got some doubts and questions now. What's the answer to it all? Repent and believe the gospel. Trust the Lord and begin walking with him. Go before the Lord. Open the scriptures. I love the advice of my friend Peter. Go in your room. Shut the door. Get down on your knees with your Bible open and cry out to God to save you. And don't get up off your knees until you have that peace deep within your own heart. Absolutely true. We're growing in this Christian life. If there's growth there, there's life there. In 2 Peter 3, uh, verses 17 and 18, Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Listen. There is going to be growth if there's life there. So where are you? Do you truly know the Lord as your Savior? Are you continually trusting in Christ, even now? Or are you still trying to earn some brownie points with God? We do that, don't we? Yeah, we do. But at the end of the day, when it's all stripped away and we stand before God, the one answer, why should I let you into heaven? I got a Bachelor of Theology. Hmm. Uh, that's not good enough. Well, you know, I've read my Bible my whole life. That's not good enough. I've always gone to church. My whole family went to church my whole life. That's not good enough. You know, this, that, and the other thing. I've always tithed more than 10%. No, it's not good enough. You know what it is? It's continually trusting in Christ. It's knowing the testimony of the Spirit of God within, saying there is peace between you and God. There's the evidence of the Spirit of God filling us. There's a desire for spiritual truth. There's living in a relationship with Christ. There's a longing to obey Christ. And there's a growth that's constantly happening. You say, you know what? I don't see much growth. Well, you know, as you get older, that growth might slow down. It's kind of like when you grow up as a kid, you have those growth spurts. You know, you just shoot up. You got a little girl in your arms there, and uh, she grows through clothes pretty quick, I'm willing to bet. Yep, it's going to happen for a few years. You're going to grow and grow and grow like mad. And all of a sudden, as you get a bit older, the growth is going to start slowing down. And then when you get to my age, and the growth happens in different places and in different proportions and so on. But there's still growth there. Even my dear friend who is in his 80s is still growing. He's still changing. If there's growth there, there's life there. So do you know the Lord? If you don't, the answer is simple. Repent of sin and believe the gospel. And you'll be saved. Let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give thanks again for 
the tremendous truth that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Father, we give thanks for the way in which you worked in Joel's life. Father, we thank you for a godly family and godly parents. Father, we give thanks for the way in which he has been surrounded by the Scriptures. But, Father, you brought him to that breaking point when he had to wrestle and deal with you one-on-one. And, Father, in his repentance of sin and trusting in Christ for salvation, you gave him that peace within gave him a hunger and a longing for the word of God. Father, you gave him a desire to grow and obey. Father, for all of us, I plead with you, O God, for every single one in this room, that we would take time to stop and examine our own lives, to see whether or not we are continually trusting in you, to see whether or not we are continually repenting, turning away from sin to see whether or not we are living as children of the living God, filled with the Spirit, longing for the spiritual milk, the spiritual meat of the Word, longing to grow, longing to obey. And Father, looking back and seeing that there is indeed growth in our lives. And Father, having the confidence that it's nothing of us and all of you. Father, we ask you for help. Father, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, take the scriptures that were read, the testimony that was given, the songs that we sang. And Father, we pray that it would, it would work, be used by the Spirit of God in each of our lives to convict us and encourage us and challenge us. Father, we ask you for your blessing on Joel this evening, and we pray, Father, for more growth, sustained growth. Father, we pray that you'll keep him and preserve him and protect him. And greatly use him too, Lord, we pray. We ask you these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.